Heidi Higgins, and you are listening to K-12 on Learning. My husband called me one day and invited me to hear about some exciting things that were happening in my state regarding education. He was a state legislator, and I loved to attend events with him. I got all dressed up, and we arrived early to get a good seat. I remember the speaker talking about online education and schooling children from home. Well, I thought, huh, I just sent the last of my six kids to first grade. This was not for me. But as the presentation continued, my heart changed as I heard a description that fit one of my daughters. This daughter did extremely well in school, but she was bored to tears. The school put her in the district gifted program, but that seemed to only make matters worse as she was the only one in her grade invited to go. So suddenly she was ostracized. She felt that she missed out, but hated being in class when she returned. It was a difficult time to know what to do and how to help, but here I was in this meeting and learning that there were options for me and this precious daughter. I felt this was the answer. That was 2002. Shortly thereafter, I enrolled three of my daughters in what was then one of the first of its kind, an online school. This moment changed our lives and this daughter began to thrive, as did her siblings. The change happened in large part because of a caring teacher who understood what was happening to our daughter and took our little family under her wing and helped us through the challenges that we faced. Dr. Brandy Maynard will always be the teacher in our home. Her care and understanding of gifted needs changed the entire dynamic of education here. Today you get to meet her and learn more about how parents can encourage, cheerlead, and help their gifted student to reach higher than the top of the class. Dr. Brandy Maynard, welcome. Hi, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to be back, knowing that I spent some time in my early online career working with you and your family, which, which was such a blessing. So I have my own educational consulting company. It's at giftedresources.com. And I've been dedicating my entire career to gifted education. I started in 1997, knew I always wanted to teach when I was seven years old. I taught in a one-room schoolhouse in an old museum up near my house. I knew I wanted to be an educator and I went to school in order to do that first one for my family to go to college and then went on to get my master's degree after my first introduction to gifted kids. That was my first job, had the opportunity to student teach and then went on to get my PhD because I knew I wanted to make a bigger influence and the way that I could do that would be working with teachers and parents. And so my career has been um, just a wide variety of experiences that I've had along the way, both brick and mortar and online, working in corporate, helping to uh, train teachers, working as director of gifted in a small private school, and now educational consulting where I work with both parents and students. And speaking of parents, I'm a parent of a gifted child myself. So I've been there. I understand where gifted parents are coming from. And then my teaching background since 1997. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for sharing that with us, Brandy. Your experience is why you're here today. Because many parents want to know if their child is gifted. How do we determine that? 
let's first step back to that official definition of what giftedness means. And so kids can be different and gifted in different ways. So they can have general academic ability. So these are your kids that are gifted, well-rounded, textbook gifted kids. They may be reading young. They may be gifted in math and science and kind of all areas you see that giftedness. What I found in my experience in working with thousands is that Oftentimes, that oldest child, you may have experienced this too, looks like a textbook gifted child. And then the younger children are doing everything that they can to not be like their sibling. Because if they're a couple years younger, they know that they're never going to reach that bar because that sibling is kind of always out of their reach. And so what my research has found is that that second one might look completely different and maybe at that same level of giftedness or even higher. And usually within with siblings, it's within five to 10 points of one another. And it's similar to their parents as well, as far as IQ goes. So we've got that general academic ability. The next is a specific academic ability. And so you may be gifted in the area of math or science or reading or writing one specific area. If you're twice exceptional, you may be gifted in math, but have a learning disability and perhaps have um, dyslexia or dysgraphia, ADHD. And so those are known as neurodiverse or 2E kids. And that's the big rage that's happening now that that parents are just trying to think, how do I manage and meet the needs of those kids? And then you've got the creatively gifted ones. So these are the ones that they're taking their rocket ships to the moon. You give them a box and they can do a thousand and seven different things with it. So they're constantly thinking on that creative wavelength and taking things to the next level creatively. You've got the artistically gifted kids. So these are the kids that you put a canvas in front of them and they create something amazing or even in the area of music. And then you got those kids who are gifted in the area of leadership. And so these are the kids that are gathering people together. They are maybe creating social movements. I've got a little girl, little girl, she's 16, I'm working with now that is leading a social media channel um, on water conservation and animal, you know, helping animals on the earth. So now they have the tools, these kids to actually do things that grownups would be able to do. And they can look like grownups as well. So they can get into niche forums and be connecting with people at an adult level and having those conversations when they're 12, 13, and 14, because the tools are available to them now where they couldn't be before. One of the interesting things, Heidi, is that with gifted kids, obviously they're outside of the norm. So you've got your bell curve, With special ed, you've got, you know, one side of the bell curve. With gifted, you've got the other side of the bell curve. So it's outside of the norm. So if you're in a classroom situation, it's the kids, not necessarily the top group, but the kids that are beyond the group. Great sense of humor. They think differently. Complex problems. The interesting thing in families, though, is sometimes they don't get identified. So you may bring to a family member, I've done this before. I think your child is gifted, but everybody in the family is gifted. And this child is not different than anybody else in the family. So they see everyone on that gifted range and think, my child's not any different than anybody else. But if they were part of the general population, they would realize that they were in that 10% on the far side of the bell curve. And then you've got Dabrowski. And Dabrowski says that gifted kids can have overexcitability. So these are heightened sensitivities. So some of the things that parents might see when they're babies are kids who don't sleep much. And so this is the psychomotor overexcitability. So these are the kids that are always awake. 
they're alert, they're crawling, they're constantly, you know, using their body to explore their area. They're always on the go. Oftentimes, gifted kids can be misdiagnosed with ADHD because giftedness and ADHD look very much alike. And if you don't have experience with giftedness as a doctor, as a school psych, you know, a psychologist, you don't understand that this is just one of those overexcitability. So these kids might be getting medicated when really they don't need to be medicated. So my recommendation to parents is to always go out and see if you can get a second opinion from somebody who does have background in gifted and talented and understands that psychomotor overexcitability. There's a sensual overexcitability that Dabrowski talks about. And these are the kids when they're babies, they will cry hysterically because they have to sit inside of a wet diaper. Anything that has to do with their senses, sight, hearing, noises are too loud. Visually, they can see a sunset and just be moved to tears because it's the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. Maybe odors are, they can't be in a room where there's a specific odor because it's too much on their system. So anything that has to do with the sensitivities, parents will often tell me they want the tags cut out of their clothing because it bothers the back of them, that sensitivity, their shoes, uh, their socks get bunched up They're You know, it's just that the sense of touch. And so that's another one with giftedness that you'll oftentimes see that heightened sensitivity, imaginational overexcitability. So these are the kids that may have had an imaginary friend growing up, lived in their own private little world that maybe they didn't let others into, maybe they did. Uh, So that's that heightened imagination that goes along with the creativity. One that's really common is the emotional oversensitivity. So these are the kids that will cry at the drop of the hat because there's so much going on in their world and they have this high level of empathy. These kids look out for them right now. I mean, they're really struggling with the war, with COVID, with everything that's going on. Their world is breaking down around them and we need to wrap our arms around them and support them because those sensitivities are so, so high. They don't know what to do with them and the, you know, how, how can parents come in and help them to process all of that? And then the intellectual overexcitability. These are the why questions, the kids that are constantly asking why, constantly curious, constantly wondering, and at seven have their dissertation topic figured out because they are just so curious, usually about so many different things and things that other kids aren't curious about. And so that leads to the problem of not being able to find intellectual peers. Wow, that's quite a list. I've got to tell you, I remember being lost as a parent. I knew something was going on with my child, but I I didn't know what. Can you tell us a little bit more about once we recognize some of these challenges, where do we turn to for help? Who can identify them with some of these gifts? Generally, it can be a a variety. Usually what happens is they get identified in school. Schools use something perhaps called the COGAT test, Cognitive Abilities Test, and they'll test students and then they'll identify... The numbers are different. On the COGAT test, it's generally 85 percentile and above. We'll put them in the gifted range and then they'll take a post test. But the school decides on what that number is. It could also be an IQ test that a school offers by a school psych. And those numbers can be as low I've seen as 125 and then up to 130. 130 is pretty common. And then they might be pulled in for services. Some schools use maybe SBAC scores or MAP testing scores, maybe multiple measures. So it might be a teacher recommendation, a parent 
parent recommendation and a series of test scores. Some use performance-based assessment. Everybody's different. And some schools don't have services at all, which is difficult. Some parents may decide that they want to take their child in for their own private testing. And so they may call somebody with a background in gifted education or just a psych, you know, through their local Kaiser permanent, permanent day or something, their local insurance agency, pay for that and have that done just to see where their child falls. So once the student is identified, whether it be through a school or some other private means, where does a parent then turn for help and support with their gifted child? Yes. So obviously the first place would go would be to go to schools. And so to find out, does your school have a gifted and talented program? Who is the gifted coordinator? What kind of support are the teachers getting? And oftentimes there's not a lot. That's what's happening. And so the parents that I'm talking to are feeling frustrated. They're realizing there's so much money, so much support on the other end of the spectrum. On the special ed side, the teachers are teaching toward the middle, you know, those kids that are in the middle. And then it's those gifted kids that we're not seeing a lot of growth. Uh, oftentimes these kids aren't learning anything new until January because they're coming into schools and they already know what's being taught because generally with gifted kids, they get the information one to two repetitions. And with average kids, it's eight to 15. So you have a teacher who's teaching eight to 15. It's taking so much longer. And this kid is just sitting there. So that's when you get the behavior issues. That's when it looks like ADHD. That's when, you know, it's funny because teachers are like, these aren't my favorite kids, unless they're teacher pleasers. Usually that's more of a bright category. These are kids that are oftentimes disruptive and causing problems because they're not getting their needs met. And so I would start with the school and being an advocate for parents, parents advocating for their students, and then finding any type of opportunity for them to get more connections with intellectual peers. I think that's so important. We will include some resources that parents can turn to in our podcast notes today, including giftedresources.com and your YouTube channel, where you have an opportunity to visit with students and families and let them visit with one another, share some of their common challenges, and just talk sometimes especially to that parent who really needs the support. They need to be together. That's what I'm hearing from parents. That's what I'm hearing from them too, especially during these isolating times. COVID has been hard. And when you're, when you live rurally or we're dealing, you know, with the isolation families, not feeling comfortable enough to get together. It's so nice to have that opportunity where you can meet safely and spend time with your friends and it's having that support for the kids, but then also that wrap around support for the parents, because Parents need their people too. And it's difficult for them because it's difficult when you go to a mommy group and people think, wow, raising a gifted kid is so easy. You're so lucky. They don't struggle in school. And you're thinking if you could just spend a day in my world, you know, a day in my shoes, it's, it's challenging. And I think parents lack the confidence because they don't know what they're doing because one, they don't have a lot of other parents they can talk to. There's not a lot that's out there for them, especially like with the schools. So it's just finding other people who are like them. Heidi, when you and I knew each other, my favorite thing, when I left to go out on my own with uh, educational consulting, my husband said, Brandy, you're going to be working in the schools a couple days a week. How do you want to spend your time? And I said, I just want to drink tea with moms and talk about their kids because I 
love that. I want to empower women to understand their children and then to transform them so that they can make a difference in their family. And you asked earlier, what are some of the resources that are out there? There are Facebook groups that are out there, but again, you've got a Facebook group with, you know, 37,000 different people. So if you want to build a relationship, you have to get into something small and be something a little bit more intimate than, than that. It's difficult to find those kinds of friendships when you're dealing with like a larger Facebook group, but you could do like a local parent group. Sing, S-E-N-G is a great place to find local parent groups. National Organization for Gifted Children is also a great place. Hoagie's Gifted. If you want to just find a lot of resources and and information that's out there, Hoagie's Gifted is great. OutSchool is a new thing that a lot of parents are looking into. And my classes, my friendship groups are similar to OutSchool. And OutSchool is... Uh, just a plethora of different people. And this is gifted kids that are grouped by similar age and they're all gifted. And so they, again, it's that intellectual peer because that's where they feel like they're isolated when they don't have anyone who gets them and they need to find somebody who gets them. So those are just some resources off the top of my head. The last one is, and I'll give you these resources that you can uh, have for your show notes, Heidi, but I have a gifted channel on YouTube and it's a free gifted channel, obviously for parents. And it's all sorts of tips, tricks, strategies. A lot of the things that I'm talking about in this video for some parents or podcast for some, it might be the first time they've ever heard it. Those are the things that I've shared. I've dedicated my life to educating gifted kids. I'm raising a gifted child and I get it. I see you. I hear you gifted mamas. I understand that it's not easy. And so I'm just putting out videos so that parents can really understand their kids so that they can begin to make that transformation so they can raise self-reliant, happy kids who then can go out into the world and leave their legacy. What do you do, Randy, when a child has great gifts and struggles with perfectionism to where they won't utilize those gifts? That is a great one. We've got perfectionism, underachievement. There's so many different social and emotional needs. And actually just reading the book, Understanding the Social and Emotional Lives of Gifted Students. And there's a great book called What's Bad About Being Too Good. It's a very easy read. It's just a little tiny book. So kids can read that together, but just finding those resources and helping them to work through it. One of my favorite books, The Gifted Kids Survival Guide and The Gifted Teen Survival Guide. So there's some sections inside of there on perfectionism as well, but there's great information. It's all everything from what giftedness means written from a from a child's point of view up through the social and emotional needs, what they need to know, how to communicate with their teachers, how to get what they need, self-advocacy, all of those things. And that's the thing that's difficult, I think, at schools is that teachers don't have time for the social and emotional side of things. And they're focusing on the academics. And the one thing I'm realizing this year is that they're really focusing on learning loss. And so our gifted kids are really getting behind now because all of the focus is on learning loss. And oftentimes we don't even talk about perfectionism, underachievement, anxiety, big feelings, independent study projects. I mean, all of those kinds of social and emotional things, we're worried about the academics and giving them the things that they need for the academic side of things. Parents and kids are not as worried about the academics as much as they are the social and emotional. The social and emotional is what's going to make or break a child. And 
I always hate talking about the dark side of giftedness, but research shows that kids whose needs aren't met or kids who don't get these needs nurtured, there's a higher rate of suicide. There's a higher rate of dropout. All of the darkness, once they get a little bit older, it's really challenging for them. And so getting them on the right path and finding who they can talk to. One of my favorite books for finding gifted books for gifted kids is called Some of My Best Friends Are Books, Guiding the Gifted Reader. And it's by Halstead, H-A-L-L-S-T-E-A-D, Judith Halstead. And in the back, what we do in my group, and I got the idea from her, is called bibliotherapy. And bibliotherapy is a method that you can use as an educator to actually use books to work through tough issues with kids. And so she lists, if you're dealing with perfectionism, here are some books. If you're dealing with underachievement, here's some books. Anxiety, here are some books. Gifted Girls. Here are some books. Gifted girls tend to dumb dumb themselves down. What my experience has been is about fifth grade. They don't want to look different. They don't want to look smart. They don't want to stand out. And so they go to the other side of the spectrum and they just close off and they're very quiet going into those middle school years. And so how do you empower them? How do you get the right role models in their lives so that 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 doesn't happen. And it's just knowing all of those things. And, you know, I, like I said, I've been doing it for 25 years and I just want to step alongside parents and help them as they're walking this journey because it's not easy. Well, Dr. Brandy Maynard, thank you for joining us today. It's always wonderful to hear your voice. Thanks for sharing some insights into what gifted and talented students face and the challenges that their families have. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to K-12 on Learning, sponsored by Stride. To learn more about online public schools powered by Stride K-12, our Stride career prep programs that foster lifelong learning, or any of our private school or individual course offerings, please go to stridelearning.com or k12.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and feel free to leave us a good review. We hope you'll join us next time for K-12 on Learning.